let's get going. It is good to see you. All right. As you're sitting down real quick, and we'll jump into the Word of God. Quickly, some quick announcements that I'll repeat at the end of the service. Remember that Easter is April the 4th. Invite somebody that does not go to church somewhere already. Uh, the week after Easter will be our membership class. All right, you ready? Next week, we're going to have a seniors lunch, and uh, we're going to have a great time. So if, you, uh, if you've got that card in the mail from AARP, you're in. All right, that's next, next week after church. Also, remember that the craft night meets on Tuesday nights in April at Axiom. The ladies craft night. There's a ladies Bible study currently meeting on Thursday during a, or on a Zoom call. And now listen to this. We have something new coming your way. And that is our men's ministry will be meeting at Axiom Coffee on Monday night football minus the football. Okay. We'll be at Axiom Monday nights from 630 to 730. And uh, I'm going to be part of the leadership and leading that. And if you've ever been a part of uh, anything that I've done or I've led, we will be, gentlemen, done at 7.30. So you'll still have time to get home before dark and be with your family. I know Monday nights can be a little long, but this is going to be something that's encouraging. And let me tell you, I told Heath, running Axiom, I said, you know what, Heath, what nights are available? And it was Monday and Tuesday and Saturdays. I said, uh, I, I want Tuesday night for the men's ministry. And he called back later and he said, bad news, Gloria trumped you and uh, she's got Tuesday night. So we moved to Monday night. Harvey, I'm going to let you work on that a little bit. But anyway, so we have two nights uh, men's ministry on Monday night, 630 in April, just those four weeks. And uh, then Tuesday nights, the ladies at the Craft Connection will meet down there. Wednesday nights, the young adults or the youth group meets here. Um, and, of course, Sundays we meet here. You know that. Thursday nights, the ladies' Bible study. What did my miss? Anyway, that's some of the announcements that we'll go through at the end of the service if you missed it. I'm so glad that you're here. And just being here, you realize being part of a community strengthens us. We should be able to do the things that God has asked us to do and just love life. And then when we get here on Sunday, we celebrate with each other the goodness of God. And I think that Lisa did a wonderful job in the worship team today. And let's give them a hand just for all the times that they've come. Now, now quickly, I, I want to remind you that we're in the series, Chase the Roar. Chase the Roar. And a lot of times when we hear the roar, we want to run the other way. And uh, they say in, the, uh, in Africa... That, that a lion's roar can be heard up to a mile away. A mile away. And I don't think you have to go, I wonder what that was. No, you know what that was. The principles of the Word of God can be said this way, that we believe in our heart first, then we confess with our mouth, and then corresponding action. We know that faith comes by hearing the Word of God, not heard the Word of God, that's what makes all of us fresh in the Word of God. You know, sometimes you get older and you think, yeah, I've already heard that. Well, your faith is probably not as strong as it could have been or could be if you're continually hearing the Word of God. And uh, that's how we overcome through hearing and, and speaking the power of our testimony in the blood of the Lamb. So, so this morning, I want you, if you have a, a pen and paper, because, you know, you have probably heard, some of you have heard hundreds of sermons. But as you know, and I've said before, when you get to the trial, when you get to the challenge, when you get what we're talking about, the Goliath, it's not what you have known, it's what you remember. <laughs> have you ever got to a place and you go, what was my training on that? So that's why being current, and, and what I'm asking you is to be realistic. I know that you probably don't have my sermons for the last 50 years on your walls at home. All right, what do we do? Let's go over here to 2003 and pull that one out. 
But if you write down some of the things that the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it might not even be one of my points. Then this week, you can bring those up on your phone or on your piece of paper, whatever, and just, just prompt yourself again during this season of your life what the Word of God can do. Because we know that I can I could stand, I'm not, but I could stand up here for hours and preach to you. But one word from God can change your life. Amen? So, so listen with the intent of looking for those words that God can speak into your life this morning. Um, before I pray and start, I want to remind you, if you were not here last week, uh, words that come out of our mouth, part of the confession process of a believer speaking the word of God, um, the, the challenges that come into our life, if we can describe them as Goliath, the, the, quickly the points are this. A Goliath is an opportunity. I don't know if they have those points they can put up. A Goliath is an opportunity. A Goliath is a test. A Goliath will set you apart. A Goliath is defeated by your words. A Goliath must answer to the covenant, the, the agreement between God and us as believers. And then the last point was a Goliath will make you king. See, a lot of times we think that Samuel, the prophet, when he anointed David, God anointed, uh, called David, but Samuel anointed him with oil, the actual physical anointing that was on his life. But I believe that until David walked in that identity, until he took the challenges, and in this case, I believe Goliath was part of the reason that he became king. This morning, I'm going to talk about expectations because a lot of times the Goliath in your life and in my life, if we're not careful, just from the boom, the start, okay, I'm defeated. Just lay down, fetal position, whine a little bit. But listen, it's the expectations that is playing in our mind that the Word of God changes our expectations. We can see things that other people might not be able to see this is good so I'm going to say it first and then I'm going to say it at the end as you know we all love to seek happiness in our life we, we, we want the joy of the Lord and the word of God says that the joy of the Lord is our so it makes sense if you're the enemy you come after the believer's strength Kill the joy. But we all look to revisit, to continually be in the state of joy. The circumstances being right, so the happenings make us happy. Can, can I say this? When we're walking with God, the, the ability, let's call it success. Success is the byproduct, listen to this, of your daily habits. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime transformation. We know that the Word of God changes our thinking. Be transformed by the renewing, 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 listening so that faith cometh, hearing, hearing. It's not a once-in-a-lifetime transformation. And we should be more concerned, listen, about our current trajectory rather than just our current results. Where are you going? What are you listening to? What are you hearing? What are you saying out of your mouth? We, we, it, 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 I hope it's common sense to know that your net worth. Oh, I got some of your attention on that one, boy. Bing! Your net worth is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight, Pastor, move on. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning habits. Your clutter in your house is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. The level of your effectiveness is a lagging measure of your faith. You get what you repeat. Habit. So this morning, let's look at, again, talking about chase the roar. Understand that when we talk about promotion coming into our life and, and taking a step in the, the right direction of, of getting in a place of hearing God and doing the things of God, and 
really what we're, we're asking for is, is we like favor, right? Does anybody like favor beside me? I, I, I love favor. I remember my mother being a second grade teacher and she, she wanted to be politically correct, so she put her son in another class, second grade class. But one time that teacher was gone and so we had to combine both, both classes. That's right. Who got to carry the wiffle ball and the baseball out to recess? This guy. Who was first in line? Uh, this guy. Because I was the second grader that belonged to the teacher. Have you ever been in a place where you go, why, why do I experience so much favor? I like it. I want to be there. David comes up on the scene, and, and we've, we've talked about this story, and we're going to talk about it again. He comes on the scene, and the, the what, what, what? What's the prize for killing Goliath? Do you remember the prize? You can sum it all up with one word, favor. If you kill the giant, the challenge, the, the person that's the obstacle down there that's against God's people, listen, you get great riches, I know that hopefully nobody up on the Israelite army was against that. Pious, well, I've got enough. I don't need any more. You hear that, don't you? Anyway, second thing is your whole family is going to be tax exempt in the land. Of, that's pretty good, too. I, I think I might take the great riches because then I could pay the taxes. But that's, another, but, but that's pretty good. But the third one is that you get the hand of the daughter of the king, which again is in marriage, ongoing favor. Favor. Here's David. And it is so important for us to read these examples in the word of God and realize that champions are needed not only in the Christian world, but in our church, people's lives that have that inspire us and watch, we can watch them and say, wow, that, that's the kind of person that has overcome challenges in their life that we can too. Throughout history, the, the wars that start, even when you think about little country over here in North America called the United States, the process looked pretty bleak at first, but as they began winning victories, all of a sudden, today becomes the most powerful illustration of democracy in the world. I, I love this illustration, and I would love to just kind of paraphrase it, but I would miss a lot of it. Back in Roman times, again, Rome was the, the big guy on the block, and, and they were coming against Gaul, which is modern-day France, and and France had a champion, and he was doing the same thing Goliath was doing. He was mocking the pride of the Roman army. One army was on one side of the river. Gaul, again, was on the other side. He would go to the middle of the bridge and begin to hurl insults at Rome. There was this young guy, and his name was Titus Manilius. Don't you love Roman names? Listen to this. It says that Titus then challenges the goal to a duel. He stepped forward and would not suffer Roman valor to be shamefully tarnished by a goal. Armed with a legionary shield and a Spanish sword, he confronted the goal. Their fight took place on the very bridge over the Anaya River in the presence of both armies amid great apprehension. Thus they confronted each other. The goal, according to his method of fighting with shield, advanced and awaiting an attack, Manilus, relying on courage rather than skill, struck shield against shield and threw the Gaul off balance. While the Gaul was trying to regain the same position, Manilius again struck shield against shield and again forced the man to change his ground. In this fashion, he slipped under the Gaul's sword and stabbed him in the chest with his Spanish blade. After he had been slain, Manilius it's pretty bleak here, so I just want to warn you. He cuts off the gall's head, tore off his tongue, and put it covered as it was in blood around his own neck. Now, can I kind of put this in more of a spiritual, 
Sometimes we need to mentally say against the enemy that speaks over our life. Okay, it's time to the tongue out of that. And quit talking against the people of God. This example is exactly what Goliath on the day after he's been going against the Israelites. Remember, he's marching out and throwing up, you bunch of sissies, isn't there anybody up there, a man that can come down? He probably came up with all these, you know, dad jokes. I don't know. But they were piercing him. And they're throwing, he's throwing insults for six weeks every morning and every evening. He's coming out. How, how would, would you agree with me? That would get old. All right, here he comes again, this big bohemoth. That's what he's expecting, though. Goliath is coming and going, send somebody down to me as a, another soldier, and we're going to go toe-to-toe here in front of both armies. And whoever wins... Their army is going to be the master over the other army. The defeated army is going to be the servant. Now listen, as Goliath is standing there and throwing those insults, he, he's, he's dressed in armor. He's got an elaborate tunic on. It's made up of overlaying bronze scales. It is said to weigh about 125 pounds. You know, you can't weigh 200 pounds and wear 125 pound armor. You and be, as they say, nine foot seven, the Bible says. So about the top of that, roughly that exit sign. I tell you what, here's another example. Christian, would you stand? He's about three foot up. Look at him. Now, if Christian back here in the sound, but stand up, stand up, stand up. If, if he's Goliath and he's looking at me, I'm going, holy cow, I'm glad I'm on the platform. But if I get down and I notice how tall, you can imagine. Okay, everybody kind of got that? That illustration cost us hundreds of dollars. Anyway, just he's got bronze shin guards on to protect his legs. He's got a heavy helmet on. Now, now here's something else. Think about this. He's, he's an infantryman. He, he's got all this armor, but he's also got three weapons. And because money is no object for my illustrations this morning. Straight from the Miller's backyard. All right. He has a javelin. This we're going to use as a javelin. It is not part of the broken pipe of the water heater that broke over our living room during the snowstorm. It's not that. That's a javelin. It was made of entire bronze and was made for the reason that it, as it's thrown, listen to this, as it was thrown long distance, here, let me see if I can make it. No, I'm kidding. Everybody became interested all of a sudden. Don't go to sleep in this message. It would go through actual armor, even shields. You had the javelin for long throws. But, but Goliath had a shorter, which this isn't shorter, but it was the, like a weaver's beam. It was just people saw it and go, there's no way somebody could throw that. The head of it was 15 pounds. And he would use this as a thrusting weapon as people came within a distance of however long it was. You know, probably somewhere between 6 and 12 feet was the pike. That a lot of people in the uh, Greek army, Alexander the Great, would carry the, these huge uh, short. And sometimes they would even throw them at the last minute. And then what they would do, I'm looking for the sword. Where is that? All right, here it is. Then they would take their sword, which in this era of time, the Philistines had a longer sword. Usually it didn't have a bend in it like mine, but you could do this one around the corner. All right. I'll be here all day. Anyway. 
And it was longer so that if they did have a shield, they could get under it or over it and, you know, the rest. He had three weapons that he brought to the battlefield. Now listen to this historian, Moshe Gershel, of the Israelite, or the Israelite people. He says, to the Israelites, this extraordinary spear with its heavy shaft plus long and heavy iron blade, when hurled by glass, strong arms, seemed capable of piercing any bronze shield and bronze armor together. He said, you can see why the army of God didn't visibly think it was possible to go out and fight him. But then in the middle of this six weeks and everybody at their lowest, this young guy appears. Dun, da, dun, da, dun, da, dun. But really everybody's going, eh, 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 eh. you know, they're not seeing him as the next best thing. He's coming just to deliver supplies from his father, Jesse. And he overhears this Goliath down in the valley. And he's probably thinking to himself, why isn't anybody going? He's listening to the prize as we talked about a minute ago. If you go down, you win this. It is overheard. They rush him to the king and says, here's our warrior that says he can do it. And Saul begins to do what? Begins to discourage him from going. And then he tries to suit him up with his own armor just to give him a chance, right? But the story is that David, I'll repeat this in a minute, David has no intention on using that. Instead, he picks up five stones. As David comes down, Goliath starts looking at this boy. He's probably, as we talked about last week, he could have been taunting Israel, trying to get the guy that is the biggest in the whole army to come down and fight him, which could have been, Saul. The Bible describes Saul as head and shoulders above every man in Israel. He was a big guy. I've heard any kind of description, but somewhere around possibly seven foot. So he's a big guy, but he's not nine foot seven. So this big armor that could have fit on Saul, of course, cannot fit on David. So he's looking for someone of an experienced warrior and infantryman to come out and fight him when all of a sudden he sees this little boy coming down. Now listen to what he says. Because he's expecting something different than he sees, he begins to become insulted. I want you to hear that. He sees David carrying his... Anybody seen the shepherd's staff? Everybody thinks, you know, the big crook in it, you know, and all that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But he did have his shepherd's staff because the, the, the term or the quote from Goliath is, Am I a dog? That you should come to me with sticks? He's probably thinking of what a shepherd, the lowest trait, the lowest profession would do. He would have his staff to be able to do what? bang on dogs to scare them away. Am I a dog? And we know, and I'm kind of fast forwarding, that the battle is won by David. He's an underdog. By all expectations, he should have lost. And as you read this story in the Bible or in the business world or wherever you read it or hear David and Goliath, it has become what? It's become a metaphor for an improbable victory to take place. But I want you to see something. Now we're going to go back. In ancient times, there was three kinds of warriors in an army. This is something that can change your life when you begin to see this from a different perspective. There's three kinds of warriors. The first was the cavalry. These were men that were uh, armed men on horseback or in chariots. The second, what we talked about, was the infantrymen. These were foot soldiers wearing big armor and carrying sword, shields, javelins, so forth. The third were projectile warriors. They were the artillery. Through the years, you know, artillery is becoming, you know, became huge to the point of bombs. But back then, the artillery were two main kind of warriors. They were the archers, you know, with the bows and shooting the arrows. And then 
second kind of project, projectory or projectile warriors was the slingers. Now, now let me show you just something about the slingers because we think of this as a, a little boy's tool and we usually think of it as, anybody think of it as a fork, you know, like a tree or branch and they got a inner tube. <laughs> anybody ever create, guys, one of those when you're little, or ladies? Yeah. My dad made me one. Let me tell you, there wasn't a squirrel that messed with me during that time. <laughs> Couldn't hit one, but they didn't mess with me the same. <laughs> but it was a leather pouch in a leather cord. It was very simple, very cheap to make. They'd put a rock, even a, a brass ball in it, and hurl it sometimes six to seven times over their head and let it go. Now, now we're going to talk about these guys. Sometimes we downplay it because of the time period or the context that we live in. But I want you to see what history tells us. As, as far back as medieval times, which was a lot closer to us than actually David's time period, but in medieval times, it shows slingers hitting birds in midair. Irish slingers were said to be able to hit a coin as far away as they can see it. As they could see it, they could hit it. And in the Old Testament book of the Judges, you can read that it describes slingers as being accurate within a hair's breadth. But let's go on. This is amazing to me. This is David. An experienced slinger could kill or seriously injure a target at a distance of 200 yards. The Romans had special tongs to take out rocks out of people's body that were hit with slings. With rocks slinging, yeah. Can, can you imagine letting a major league baseball player or pitcher that can throw about 100 miles an hour Line up and throw it at your head. <laughs> the world record was set in 1981 by a guy named Larry Bray that threw 437 meters. Now for you that are in a different kind of measuring of feet, that's over 1,300 feet that he threw. He slung a rock. This isn't a little toy. Let's go on. The historian Hopperin argues that the sling was such an importance in, in the warfare that it was uh, it, it balanced one another. So in other words, the three kinds of warriors were balanced, just like he said, in, in rock, paper, scissors. The cavalry could in turn defeat the projectile because they could move fast and they could but the uh, infantry could defeat the cavalry because of their long pikes and they could get them on the horseback. But the projectile warriors could take out the infantry. If you know history, there, there's a historian that's named Lysistitis and he describes the length of how Athens' infantry was decimated in the mountains by the local light infantry, mostly using sling during the Peloponnesian War when the Athenians began to attack. So in other words, you got these slingers up in the mountains that decimated the whole enemy's army. This was slinging stones. See, Goliath is heavy infantry. He thinks he's going to be engaged and have a duel with another heavy infantryman. Listen to what he says. Come to me that I may give your flesh to the birds of the heavens and the beast of the air, or the field, beast of the field. The key phrase is, come to me. Come on, little guy. Come on over here. Close quarters. See, when Saul begins to try to dress David in his armor and giving him his sword, his tunic, and all that, Saul is 
operating under the assumption that that's what David's going to do. Now, this is going to get pretty mind-blowing here in a minute. I think that nobody's heard this. I don't, I, and I wish God would have given me this, you know, like Monday, but this morning I'm reading this and this comes, wow. What, what, why is Saul doing this? He thinks that he, actually David's going to go out and toe-to-toe beat him with his shepherd staff. Saul's under the assumption. That's why he's giving, trying to give him his armor. He has no... See, here, here's the, the rules. And David says, I don't follow those rules. You, you think for a minute Goliath is going to follow a rule? This is war. So, so David says to Saul, remember, I, I've killed a bear. I've killed a lion. What he's trying to tell Saul is, I didn't do it. Even though I killed him eventually with my bare hands, it, I'm not going to tell you that I did it with a... I, I don't read that. Why didn't he say, I've killed a bear in a line with my sling? He just says that when the lion and the bear tried to come in and attack mine, the lamb, I killed it. I slew it. And then it says, then it turned on me. Then I grabbed its whiskers and killed it. In other words, I chased the roar. He, he even learned how to do this fighting wild animals. The projectile warrior. The, the Bible says that when they... Again, the words are so powerful because Saul's saying, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to make you, sir. And David's throwing back the same thing. No, 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 I'm not coming. L- listen to this. This is in- interesting. He says, David says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down, cut your head off. All those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword and spear. This is the second time that he's bringing focus on the enemy's sword and spear. The Lord says, for the battle is the Lord and we'll give you in our hands. This is amazing. When David is coming to the battle and Goliath says, you come, am I a dog that you come with me against me with sticks? Apparently, as he's coming down the, the little mountain there, or little hill that the Israelites are camping, he's got a, his staff. And he begins to run towards Goliath. Remember that. The Israel Defense Forces commander, ballistics expert, did a study on calculations showing how fast the rock from a slinger could come out. And he came to the conclusion that a typical size stone hurled by an expert slinger at a distance of 35 meters, that's about 100 yards, that's a football field, this is amazing, would have hit glass head in a velocity of 34 meters a second. So let's assume that Goliath was 100 yards when David let go of the stone. It took one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and it hit him in the head. So here's Goliath. I'm going to give you... He blinks once and dies in the dark. (laughs) He didn't even have time to go, what hit me? In other words, when he, as an infantryman, is, is seeing this little guy, he first is scorned, right? But here's what I think, is when he sees him probably drop the staff and begin to reach into his shepherd bag and pulls out a stone and begins to wave that sling around his head, he goes from being surprised to horrified. As it dawns on him, the battle that he was expecting has suddenly changed shapes. Remember, twice he mentions Goliath's sword and spear. 
do, do you know that the historian Robert Drowned, uh, Daru, they, they never have easy names. Let's call him Robbie, all right? The historian Robbie said Goliath had as much chance against David as a Bronze Age warrior with a sword would have against an opponent armed with a 45 automatic pistol. Again, do, do we think that the duel sometimes reveals the folly of our assumptions about power in our lives? The Israeli Minister of Defense that, that or, uh, orchestrated the, the Six-Day War back in 1967, he said David fought Goliath not with the inferior, not with inferior, but on the contrary with superior weaponry. And his greatness consisted not in his being willing to go out to battle against some far stronger, someone stronger than he was, but in his knowledge how to exploit a weapon by which a feeble person could seize the advantage and become the stronger. Okay, you're not with me. Let the weak say I am strong. Yeah. Well, pastor, I just don't feel I'm strong. Let it come out of your mouth. David was saying it. Here comes David running towards Goliath. He's powered, of course, by faith and courage that he can do it. God's going to give him the strength. And here's this too big, too slow, blurry-eyed big guy. Which has little guys, not necessarily always against the big guys. But it's always good to see a little guy coming. And all of a sudden, the tables are turned. Okay, here, just in the next few minutes, and then we'll wrap it up. This is something that, that's amazing. I, I want to review real quick, because if we put this together, these, these are characteristics that are invaluable to us. David has them. It says that the Holy Spirit came upon him in power. Desirable difficulty. That don't seem like it goes together, does it? Oxymoron. First name Mo, last name Ron. <laughs> Desirable difficulties. Hope plus faith equals prophetic advancement. Listen to what the Bible says, and then let's do a compare contrast. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16, and these signs will accompany, the, accompany those who believe. In, in verse 19, Jesus ascends into heaven, and it says that the disciples preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs that accompany, accompany him. Now watch the contrast. When David goes out to the Philistine, Saul says to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, Son, is this? He says, I don't know. But after the battle, Abner goes and gets him and brings him to Saul, and he's holding something in his hand. Do you know what it is? Goliath's head. Anybody believe that that's a sign that will accompany David as a believer? I don't know if there could be any greater sign of his faith. Let me give you another one. In the book of Hebrews, Paul is talking in verse 2, 4, verse 2, and it says, For we also have the gospel preached to us, just as they did, talking about the Old Testament people that are going into the promised land. We, we, we've had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value. Because those who heard did not combine it with faith. In other words, what they were seeing, they go, there's no way we can go in there and defeat those giants. They didn't combine it with faith, but it says, now we have believed we enter that rest. 
Look at this story. In 1 Samuel 17, 47, it says, All those gathered here, David is talking about, will know that there is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. You think that David mixed the word of God with faith on his part? He believed in his heart. He confessed with his mouth and corresponding action. Let me give you one more. In Romans chapter 3, verse 3. What if some did, did not have faith? Listen to that again. What if some did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. I love Paul. He says, let God be true and every man a liar. Well, I preached this, and I preached this about one time a year, so get ready. I'm not losing it. So, Pastor, you preached that last year. I'm going to preach it again this year. But every time that you choose to walk by faith, you're allowing God to be true in your life, no matter what other people are going to try to say. Okay, look at the comp. The comparing contrast in 1 Samuel 17. David said, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Do you see a man that is full of faith? But, but I want you to see here. It's just a food for thought. He has three weapons. He has the long javelin, he has the short thrusting spear, and he has a sword. Can anybody tell me possibly what was missing in his arsenal? No, it's something physical. What? A shield. Do you know that Goliath had a shield? You know where it was? Don't guess because he was back by the TV. No, it wasn't by the TV. This is something that hit me this morning. I've never heard this before, so it's my thought. <laughs> Whatever that's worth, and it might be worth nothing here in a minute. I didn't bring a shield. But anyway, I'm looking around like there might be one on the platform somewhere, you know. The armor bearer. His armor bearer was down there with him, and it says that when David came out, his armor bearer went before him. Now, this is something that I, I, I think. Here's David, and he's standing up on the mountain, and everybody's going, ah, ah, he's big. David knows. That's my announcements in the back. I hope. All he has to do, all David has to do, about the size of a playing card is his target right there on Goliath. Now stop and think. The one thing that could have nullified the projectile warrior would have been the shield. But Goliath didn't have the shield and David realizes, uh-oh, everybody's seeing his strength as being this big guy. David has no intention to go toe-to-toe. He's going to use a sling. But here's the thought. Here's what I want to build the sermon on and leave you for next. Gwenda and I are going to kind of team together next week, and we're going to give you an arsenal to battle. Arsenal of weaponry. Anyway, here, here we go. But what if David, listen, when he gets to the battlefield and he's hearing and he's going, what now, what? What's the prize? Everybody thinks that to defeat him, they're going to go toe-to-toe. But David knows from the get-go, I'm going to use my sling. So what if David is looking down thinking the armor bearer is carrying the shield? Now, if if the description of this time period is that Saul is head and shoulders above all the other army and you know, soldiers and stuff, I would imagine he might be maybe a little most of them be a little shorter than me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They're probably about my size. I'm five. <laughs> now, and this, this is stretching a little bit. This is John. Don't go and say, well, you know what I heard in the Bible. But, but just think about this. 
if, if Goliath is as tall as this exit sign, and I am his armor bearer carrying his shield, and the target is up there where the E-X-I-T is, and I've got his shield. I've got a heavy shield. Goliath is thinking that David's coming with a stick to beat him up. Come on, boy. Come on. He's only got one second to realize when the stone goes. What's this guy going to do? David probably knows this. Is he going, <laughs> i got to cover his forehead with my shield. Everybody with me? Because it, David doesn't tell Saul. I don't read that, that he tells him he's got a sling, that he's killed him with a sling. I I don't think that even anybody really possibly knows that he's going to use a sling because it says that he goes to the brook, probably privately, to get the stones. But here's just on me. This is fun conjecture. If David came up with this idea, here's what I want us to, to use in our thinking. You go, well, what does that have to do with me? The shield and a little guy can't hold it up. If David comes up with that idea, there's only one way a person comes up with that idea. When everybody on the mountainside, on the Israelites are looking, and that's the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Now, here's the exciting thing is if we go against our giants, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, no mind can conceive, no eye seen, no ears heard all the, the great things God has in store for those that believe. And everybody goes, nobody knows. Keep reading. Keep reading. If you keep reading, it says, but we do. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us that we do know the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit can speak to us and go, did you see that big guy's forehead? Do you see the little guy with the shield? He can't get it up there with his shield and David says what was the prize again for the favor how could he go against his older brother that he probably respected when he's trying to insult him yeah I know what you're doing out here how could he go against the king that he probably respected and looked up literally to if he's that big a guy and he's the king and he you can't go out you're just a little boy he's a warrior How could he keep doing it? He was convinced in his heart that the strategy that God gave him would overcome or defeat the enemy. Now, now here's what I want us to know. Because as believers, a lot of times, if we're not careful in the church world, we come up with uh, the thought that, you know, and and I believe that God can create miracles. Right here, don't ever say that John Miller, because he's done them in my life. But a lot of times we go into an impossible situation thinking that God's going to have to rain down $100 bills to get us out of this emergency. And it doesn't happen. But God has given us an opportunity to invest in something that would have brought the $100 bills to get us out. You follow me on this? See, we were looking, well, God, you wanted to make a way. You would have opened up the doors. Well, God's saying, did, did you not see that door over there? Okay. So as we come to part three in this sermon series, Chase the Roar, again, watch how David looks at things differently because he's able to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to him. How how could he write Psalms 23, "The, the Lord is my shepherd? He says, he prepares a feast, a table, a banquet. Where? In the presence of my enemies. The enemy's right over there looking. Yeah, just a minute. I've got a shish kebab to finish here. (laughs) And David knew on that day, the table was for one. Later, think of all the psalms that he would write. What are those? Really, come on. What are songs? They're confessions. We'll talk about coming out of our mouth. 
Now, let me just warn you. God's grace is sufficient for all of us. We pray that some of the things we've said in our lives will, we pray that it will yield no fruit. And today is a new day. Come on now. God is good in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Right now, God, as you have spoken to us, there's people today that God has heard something from your Holy Spirit speaking that, God, that they can apply to their life this day, this week. God, they're, they're dealing with challenges in their life that, God, they've asked for answers. God, help me. And, Father, today this message is for them. That, Father, that they would slow down and they would hear your voice speak to them. Father, it, it might not be the common consensus of the culture that we're in or they're in but God that you can give them a strategy and then faith God that it is you speaking to them and to be able to carry that out Father we thank you for the ability to be your children and Father help us to again believe in our heart confess with our mouth and then, God, corresponding action to what we say that we believe. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, before you're dismissed, quick announcements again. The men's ministry will start in April. Not this week, in April. On uh, Monday nights, 6.30 to 7.30. The, the title of the, the study we're going through is Renovate. Going through the last year or so, some are, you know, busted and disgusted, tore up from the floor up and all those good, you know, cliche. This will be a great Bible study for us and also to get to know each other better. Also, the Craft Connection is also meeting on Tuesday night at Axiom. Uh, next week will be our seniors' luncheon following service, and uh, we would love for you to be a part of that and uh the cost is $452. No, I'm just kidding. It'll be $10, and we're going to cater the food in, and nobody will have to work, and it'll be after service. And, and then remember, Easter is coming up the first Sunday of what? Let's see if you're still with me. First Sunday of April, and then following that, the next week is our membership class. One other announcement, the last Sunday of April on Sunday morning after church will be our annual business meeting. You were given the warning ahead of time. All right, there it is. We thank you so much. Gwen and I just love you guys, and we think about you all week. We say good things about you and all that. So we hope that you're encouraged when you come to the church and when you leave this place that what you have got when you come here, not just from me, but through the worship and other people that you take with you, Walk in power and strength. Amen? Amen. Amen. Go get them. You're dismissed.